Father, we do just come before you and we praise you for who you are and what you have done. That you are so gracious, kind, and merciful to send your son Jesus to pay the full price for our sins, to die for our sins. And we thank you that death could not hold him, that he rose from the dead, and he is at your right hand. And Father, as we continue to come before you and worship you, we pray that we would have right hearts, that you prepare our hearts to receive your word, that we would be soft and willing to allow your spirit to convict us and correct us and change us, that we might become more like your son. Lord, I thank you for this time we have, and we commit it to you now in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, if you know much about the evangelical church these days, you'll recognize there's a crisis in leadership. For many years, the church has strayed from a biblical paradigm of leadership. The flocks have been fleeced, unfortunately, by those who feed their ministries and themselves and not the flocks, who protect and care for their own interests rather than protect and care for the flock. You know, we've seen a wholesale departure from the teaching and preaching of the Word of God by the Spirit of God through those who are gifted and the warning of the threats to the flock to really an acceptance of any method that will work in church. Now certainly there's some responsibility not only obviously completely on those who are doing what is wrong, but there's some responsibility on the sheep for receiving these things and listening to it and seeking after teachers after their own desires as Paul would tell Timothy. But unfortunately, the evangelical church has bought into this wickedness wholeheartedly. And we have so many negative examples of leadership. Just look on TV. Watch whatever it might be. You see, there's negative examples all over the place. So with that in mind, what does the Word of God have to say about leadership in the church? How is the church to be led This brings us to our passage today in which we're going to see how elders are to shepherd the flock of God. Now, you might be saying, I'm not an elder. I'm never going to be an elder, and that's probably correct. So I'm going to just kind of maybe listen a little bit here and there. Actually, you need to pay great attention to this because although this is written to elders here specifically, it's also written to the church for their understanding, as we'll see. You see, you need to understand what good leadership is so that you can place yourself under good leadership And those who would be leaders and those who are leaders need to understand what God has said concerning his requirements. If you would turn with me, we're going to be looking in 1 Peter chapter 5. And we are rapidly coming to a close in our study in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. And I want to give you a brief review of what we've seen so far. It's not going to be as much as usual. I'd love to give you a full review of it, but for time's sake, we're not going to have the time for that. But Peter is writing to believers in Asia Minor around 64 A.D., They're suffering, and yet God is using those trials to refine them. God is using those trials to bring about good through even the wickedness that is brought upon these believers, that those who see their good behavior in Christ might respond, be convicted, and turn to Christ. He's exhorted believers to be ready to give an account for the hope that they have, yet with gentleness and respect. Within this book, he shared the great salvation that we as believers have in Jesus Christ, that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that we are temporary residents on this earth, and we are following in the footsteps of Christ as we suffer for the glories to follow. 
The amazing thing is that God preordained that Jesus Christ through his obedience would suffer and bring about our redemption. And God is doing the same thing as we suffer. He is using those opportunities to bring about the redemptive message of Jesus Christ. Now, in chapter 4 of the book of First Peter, we saw that we are to no longer live the way we used to live, and we don't live the way we used to live. We're to arm ourselves with the same mindset that Christ had in regards to suffering, entrusting yourself to the one who judges righteously, recognizing he's working through those things, his will for his glory. And yet when we do that, people are going to malign us, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And then we saw how we are to function in these last days. What are we to do as the time draws near for Christ coming again? We're to be praying. We're to have our relationship right with the Lord. We're to have our thinking right. We are to be loving one another, and we are to be serving one another. And then our last time together we saw in chapter 4 that we're not to be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon us for our testing as though some strange thing were happening. But to the degree or the amount that we suffer for Christ, to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ. Yes, we do suffer for our sin at times. There's no credit in that. But when you do what is right, trusting the Lord, and you suffer for it, to the degree that that happens, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of God and glory rests upon you. And we're not to be ashamed when we suffer for Christ or we suffer as a Christian. But in that name, glory in God. And, you know, the reality is that it's an evidence that we're saved. If you're suffering at work or in a relationship or even in the body of Christ for following Christ, obeying him, doing what is right, it's an evidence you're not going to judgment. And yet we see that if God would allow difficulty to come along his people to make them more like Christ, if he would allow that, how much more the godless man and sinner, the one who has rejected the gospel, and so within that, we finish up really the main teaching in the book of First Peter, and we come to chapter 5 where we're going to have some final thoughts by Peter, which really tie everything together. And he begins in this portion to address elders in the body of Christ. So again, would you turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. And let's read those. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, As your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. As I mentioned, this portion is certainly directed to elders. It is directed to elders. It is direct instruction for elders. But we need to understand how elders are to function. And also, as we see throughout Scripture, many of the things that are shared for different groups really apply to all of us. We're going to see in a moment that we should all be having our focus on the chief shepherd, that we should all be depending on him, that we should all be doing what he calls us to do, not under compulsion, but willingly and gladly as the Lord allows those things to come before us. But specifically, this is for elders. And so there is some secondary applications for those who might be leading in other ways, whether it's your family, whatever it might be. There's some principles there. Primarily, it's for elders. 
And yet there are some tertiary principles concerning our attitudes and behaviors. And then lastly, so that the body of Christ knows what their elders should look like, those who are shepherding them. Okay, with that in mind, we're going to see how elders are to shepherd God's flock. First of all, we're going to look at Peter's humble example. Look at verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. And then he'll say, shepherd the flock of God. He starts out with the term, therefore. He's connecting this portion with what he has shared before. In light of the temporal sufferings of the church that God is allowing to purify and also to bring about redemptive opportunities, in light of that, in light of the difficulties that might come your way, that might surprise you, that we're not to be surprised, in light of those things, this is what the elders among you are to be doing. He says, therefore... I exhort the elders among you in light of the reality that all of us should be entrusting our souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. In light of the fact that we should be walking in fellowship with him, relying on him, he has some exhortations for the elders. Then he'll go to young men, then he'll basically speak to everyone, and he'll finish up the book. He says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you. Now we're going to see a command here. We have him saying, I call upon them. I come alongside to call on the elders. That's what that word means. And then we're going to see a command to shepherd. I admonish you, I exhort you, the elders among you to shepherd. And so with this in mind, what can we observe concerning the issue of elders? You know, in churches, there's all kinds of different types of leadership. Some churches will say they're congregational where everybody votes. Some churches are led by one guy. He says everything, and that's the way it goes. Some churches are led by what are called deacons. And what we see in Scripture here is that churches are to be led by elders. They're to be led by elders. Notice he says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you. Now, you may or may not understand what the Scripture has to say about elders. I can't share all of that today, but I want to share a little bit to give us a little context so we can understand from the Word of God what that means. The term elder, presbyteros, could be used in different ways based on context. First of all, it could speak of an older person. It was used to speak of the Jewish elders, the Sanhedrin, the leaders mentioned in the New Testament. It's used to speak of the 24 elders that are bowing down before the Lamb in Revelation. And then it is used to speak specifically of those who are spiritually mature men chosen by God through his spirit to lead his church. And that's what it is speaking of here. Now, it's important to realize in Scripture that the term elder, presbyteros, overseer, episkopos. Now, you get an idea where some of these denominations get their name, Presbyterian, Episcopal, right? That's where these roots come from. But here we see in Scripture, elder, presbyteros, overseer, episkopos, shepherd, poimeno. They are really used synonymously in Scripture to speak of the same people. There's a little different nuance to each word, but we'll talk about that. In Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38, we have all three terms, shepherd, elder, overseer, they use synonymously. In our passage, we will see all three terms there in the passage. 
We're going to see that they're used synonymously. But why different terms? Why does God have elder, overseer, and shepherd? I think the term elder speaks more towards the office, overseer, the office, and the duty, and shepherd more specifically concerning the duty. But I think we'll see that as we look through it. So with this in mind, he says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. This reveals the reality from Scripture that God's form of leadership, as we see in many different passages, is elder-run leadership of the church. That he doesn't say, I exhort the senior pastor, I exhort the senior executive minister, or the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. He doesn't say that. I exhort the church membership. He doesn't say that. He says, I exhort the elders among you. We're going to see that Christ is the chief shepherd. And he, by his spirit, through his word, appoints men to follow his will to shepherd the church. It's not people shepherding it on their own desires. It is men submitted to Christ shepherding it. And the term here is elder. He says, I exhort the elders among you. Now, a little observation. He doesn't say exhort the elder among you. He says elders, plural. We see in Scripture there is to be a plurality of elders. That means two or more, plurality. The church is to be led by elders. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, elders, appoint elders, plural. Acts 20, verse 17, Paul called the elders of the church to him. James chapter 5, 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church. Now, by the way, a lot of people say, Greg, you got to go visit that person. They're sick to that, you know, or there's an issue here. Yes, we do need to watch the flock. But Scripture says they should be calling us. Let them call the elders. They should be saying, I need someone to come pray for me. I need this. That's what it's saying here. Let him call for the elders and let them pray over him. The point is, as we see in our passage, therefore I exhort the elders among you. And he says, as your fellow elder. Scripture is clear there is to be a plurality, as we will see, of godly men appointed by Christ, by his spirit, through his word. Now, one other thing I want to share just on a side note, elders are men. Because the duty of elders is to watch over the sheep, to feed, to instruct, as we'll see, all those things. And Scripture is very clear. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. And he goes on to say, hey, Eve was deceived. Now, Adam was the one who sinned. He rebelled. We're in this mess because of Adam, by the way. We've all voted it in with our own sin, right? But... Paul says, I don't allow women to teach or exercise authority. Elders are men. So we see in Scripture the elder form of, we call it church government. So he says, I exhort the elders, notice what he says, among you. He qualifies it. He's talking to the entire church. I exhort the elders among you. This is why it's important that we don't sign off here and say, oh, it's only for elders. The reality is, I exhort the elders among you. He is still speaking to the church, and he wants everyone to hear this. But within that group, he is exhorting the elders among you. So you need to pay attention. It's for everyone, but specifically applies to elders. Okay, so Paul exhorts the elders, plural, among them. So with that in mind, what can we learn from Scripture concerning how leadership should function in the church? Notice, first of all, I believe we can learn from Peter's example. And this is a good example for each and every one of us, by the way. Not only for elders, how they should think of themselves, but also how you should think of them and how we should think of each other. 
Notice what he says back in verse 1, chapter 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker of also the glory that is to be revealed. Peter says, I exhort you as a fellow elder, an elder or an elder with. I'm an elder with you. Do you see the humility here? He was humble. He saw himself rightly before the Lord. Peter doesn't say, I, Peter, the first pope, exhort you this. I, Peter, the senior pastor. I, Peter, the lead elder. He says, I, Peter, a fellow elder. We're on the same level under the head, Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. He's the shepherd. He's the shepherd. Peter gives a great example because it's so easy for pride to come in in any situation for any person. When the Lord places you in a position, you may be in a position that the Lord is doing it, you're trusting Him, but there's those temptations for pride. People may elevate you. They may give you titles. They may put you on a pedestal. Peter says, hey, I'm a fellow elder. It's a great example of humility. And notice within that humility, he's going to show that although he had a worldly reason maybe to exalt himself, he didn't. Hey, he saw the sufferings and glories of Christ. He could say, I'm way above all you guys. And I exhort you from that position. He doesn't do that. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter had all the reason in the world in his flesh to boast, and he's not boasting. He's not. He's humble. He was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He witnessed Christ's crucifixion. He witnessed his death, burial, and resurrection. And he is also our partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. You remember, he's probably speaking about the transfiguration. We have that in Matthew 17 and Mark 9, where Peter got a sneak peek at God's glory, at Christ being glorified in front of him. Notice what he says. Turn up a little farther in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I mean, Peter could say, I'm the man. I was the most important disciple. Listen to me. He doesn't say that at all. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitness of his majesty. They, they saw it. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard the utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. The reality is Peter saw his glory. And yet Peter is humble in this. He was a witness of the sufferings and the glory in advance. But he says, I, Peter, exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. Boy, we could learn from that. Don't allow pride to come in in any situation, especially in leadership. If God has placed you in a position, whatever it might be, even in your families. Obviously, men, you are the head of the family. Don't be prideful in that. Don't be arrogant in the way you lead your families. We see an example of humility here. Humility and submission to God, to his word, in relationship to the responsibilities that God places before us. And so Peter directs their heart, and we're going to see he directs their heart not only here to what he witnessed, but also later on in chapter 5, verse 4, to the chief shepherd. 
It's the chief shepherd. That's the focus. Keep your focus on Christ. He's the chief shepherd. You may be under overseers. He's the chief shepherd. Peter was focused on him. He was focused on the work on the cross and the glory to come. And that's what we should be focused on. Peter was humble and he had an accurate picture of leadership in the church and by the Holy Spirit he taught it. So with that in mind, we need to follow Peter's godly example for those of you elders. And also we need to be humble. We'll see every one of you humble yourselves. We'll see that in a minute. We'll see that young men are to be submissive to their elders. Next, we're going to see that leaders need to shepherd with proper actions, motives, and focus. I'm going to read our whole passage again. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Pretty amazing passage. Peter exhorts, parakaleo, he calls them alongside, and then he gives them a command, shepherd the flock of God. It's a continual habitual command. Continually, habitually, elders, I exhort you to shepherd the flock of God. And notice he says, among you. So let's make some observations. This verse is packed full of stuff if you take a look at it. If you really look at it, there's a lot of really important observations that we can see. He says, shepherd the flock of God. Folks, the flock is God's flock. It's not Greg's flock. It's not Bob's flock. It's God's flock. It's not so-and-so's flock. It's God's flock, which he purchased With his own blood. It is very valuable. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and the flock whom the Holy Spirit made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You are very valuable in God's sight. God gave his son. He spilled his blood. He died for us. Shepherd the flock of God. First Peter chapter 1, we know that we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold of our feudal way of life inherited from our forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. We've been bought with a price. Shepherd the flock of God. You could say, say shepherd God's flock. That's who you shepherd. Shepherd God's flock. And it's the flock, as we'll see, among you. You see, here's where some bad shepherds show their true colors. They think it's their ministry, it's their flock. No, it's God's flock. They're God's sheep. He purchased them. We are under shepherds of the chief shepherd. It's God's flock. It's God's precious flock. I need to let you know, since we're teaching this today, that it does bother me when people say, that's Pastor Jim's church or that's Pastor Greg's church. That bothers me. Now, I know sometimes people are saying that in respect. I understand that, and I don't take it personally, but it's God's flock. You are God's flock. You're not mine or Bob's. You're God's flock. We are commanded to shepherd over you as under-shepherds of the chief shepherd. We're commanded to shepherd the precious group of sheep purchased by the blood of Christ. Now, notice also another observation we can make. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, among you. 
Those who are among you. That assumes there's a flock, right? Shepherd the flock among you. Among you. That's where shepherding happens. That's where shepherding happens. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. And you need to be in a good church so you can be shepherded. You should be in a church, as we'll see. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. Appreciate those who diligently, what? Labor among you. They're in your midst shepherding and have charge over you. Uh Uh-oh, we don't want to hear that, right? And in the Lord and give you instruction. Appreciate those who diligent labor among you. Elders are to shepherd their local flocks. And this mitigates against these higher levels of leadership in denominations. It can't be done. It is at the local level that God shepherds his flock. It's at the local level. So what else can we observe from this simple statement? Shepherd the flock of God among you. Again, it's the flock of God. We have so many pastors who are catering to the world. They're shepherding non-believers. They're shepherding those who do not know Christ. They're inviting anybody and everybody to come in and watch a show so that they might get saved. They're leading on their understanding, disobeying God's word. They're shepherding people that don't know Jesus Christ. If you look at the Great Commission, he says, make disciples, and he gives two commands. One, baptizing and teaching. Baptizing is the outward affirmation that they're saved, then teaching. We don't teach those who are not saved. We don't shepherd those who are not saved. We share the gospel with them. Shepherd the flock of God. They've been purchased by the blood of Christ. Elders and pastors have no biblical authority to shepherd unbelievers. Shepherd the flock of God. Godly shepherds, godly leadership share the gospel outside the church with non-believers, but they do not shepherd them in the church. They're not a sheep yet. We pray that they would be. So there's a lot of little truth in that statement. This is why elders are called the elders of the church. Acts 20, verse 17. James says the elders of the church in James 15. Call the elders of the church. So who do elders shepherd? They shepherd God's flock among them. They shepherd a church of God. And so with that in mind, we come to the command which gives us the duty of a shepherd. Look again at our passage, verse 1. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partake of the glory to be revealed. And here's the command, an imperative command. Shepherd the flock of God among you. What does a spiritual shepherd do? What does it look like? You know, it's interesting, when you look at a physical shepherd, we kind of get an idea. They lead the sheep to the pasture where the food is, and they protect them from threats. I don't know, we don't have a lot of sheep around here, but there are some fields with sheep, and I bet every time you drive by, those sheep are feeding, right? You'll see that, they're eating. I believe shepherding, biblical shepherding, primarily consists of feeding the sheep. The majority of usages we see in this word in the Old Testament and the New Testament point to the reality that it is centered around the feeding of God's flock. Take, for instance, Ezekiel 34. and Turn to Ezekiel 34. And you might remember when we went through this a couple years ago, there were ten specific references in this passage concerning feeding, feeding the flock, God's people. And then this passage makes the point that every shepherd and everyone should know. Ezekiel 34 
You see, Ezekiel had bad shepherds. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And the Lord is reproving them through Ezekiel, and then he's going to give them a good shepherd. Ezekiel 34, let's look at verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against those shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? It's just a basic question. Shouldn't the shepherds feed the flock? Isn't that what shepherds do? You know, you think about it. Shouldn't the shepherds feed the flock? Shouldn't pilots be flying the plane? Shouldn't police officers get the bad guys? Shouldn't farmers be planting and harvesting? Shouldn't mothers be taking care of their children? Shouldn't teachers be teaching? Shouldn't pastors be preaching in this context? Shouldn't shepherds be shepherding the flock? Isn't that what they are to do? The obvious duty of a shepherd is to feed the flock. And if you know anything about shepherds, they lead their flocks to pasture. They lead them to food that they need to survive. They protect them from threats while they're feeding in the pasture. They bind up their wounds. They care for the sheep that are hurt. They seek after those who have strayed. And they bring them back to good pasture that they might feed. Another passage in the Old Testament, you can turn there, Jeremiah chapter 3. Actually, I'll read it for you. Jeremiah chapter 3, and you can read it later. Verse 15. This is again speaking of what God's going to do. You got bad shepherds are not feeding you. I'm going to give you good shepherds. And he says this, Jeremiah 3, verse 15. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. They'll feed you literally with feedings. They'll feed you with feedings of knowledge. You've got bad guys that are not feeding you my truth. I will give you guys who will literally feed you with feedings of knowledge. Certainly in Acts chapter 20, if you read Paul's last words to the Ephesian elders, Acts 20 verses 17 to 30, completely intertwined in his exhortations is the fact that he was faithful, that he didn't shrink back from declaring anything that was profitable, that he fulfilled the ministry in Christ, and he is telling them, to do the same thing, to shepherd the flock of God because there are threats. And then turn to John chapter 21. This is the most compelling passage to show what a shepherd is to do. And this is in regards to Peter, isn't it? Peter had denied the Lord, and the Lord is restoring him after he rose from the dead. He's restoring Peter, and he's going to tell him what he needs to do if he loves him. John chapter 21, verse 15. Now, I actually prefer the NASB most of the time, but in this verse, I actually like the New King James because it translates one of the words better. In your NASB, it'll say tend. Well, the word literally in Greek means feed. When you see that, it means feed. And the New King James has translated it that way, so I'm going to read that portion. John chapter 21, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Feed my lambs. The Greek word means feed. It says tend in your Bibles. literally means feed. Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, Tend, or you could say literally shepherd. It's that word poimeno, shepherd. Same word we have in our passage. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. 
It's a good answer, by the way. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter's responsibility in the context of love of the Lord was to obey him and feed his sheep. The term feed, shepherd feed, that's the way it is. Shepherding consists of feeding the sheep, of feeding the sheep. It's all the same. We saw back in chapter 4, whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God, verse 11. We saw in 1 Thessalonians 5.12 that those who have charge over you give you instruction. Turn there again to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 12. Appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you. It's speaking of leadership in the Lord. And what? Give you instruction. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Look at verse 7 to start. And we'll look at another verse later on, so keep your finger there. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you. These are your leaders who spoke the word of God to you and consider the result of their conduct and imitate their faith. Now, the verse doesn't say, remember those who led you and spoke the word of God. It says, remember those who led you who spoke the word of God to you. They led you by sharing God's word. That's how they shepherded you. That's how they led you. And consider the result of their conduct. What is it? It was faith. This implies that leadership and the proclamation of the word are inseparable. Godly spiritual leadership in the church cannot be disconnected from the proclamation of the word of God. Should not the shepherds be feeding the flock? Isn't that the obvious reality? Shouldn't that be? We shouldn't even ask this question, should we? Should not the shepherds be feeding the flock? You see, it's the word of God that the flock needs to survive spiritually. It's God's word that he used by his spirit to bring us into a relationship with him. Remember, we see in James chapter 1, verse 21. You see, Satan is trying to attack the very thing that we need to hear to get saved, the truth, to point us to Christ, and he's trying to attack the very thing we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And he does that through bad leadership, and it's all over the place, folks. It's all over the place. James 1.21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And then 1 Peter 1.23, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. And it was that word that was preached. It was that word that was preached. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, instead of listening to all the junk those bad guys are putting out, he says here, you, however, continue in the things that you've learned, become convinced of knowing from where you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, stay in the word of God. Romans 10.17, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And God uses his word to grow us if we're willing. Now, you can hear the word every single day of your life, and if your heart is not right, it's just going to bounce right off. But if your heart is soft and willing to hear, you're willing to be corrected and reproved, you're willing to receive his reproof, he'll change your life. 
1 Thessalonians 2.13, And for this reason we constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you. And then we have in our passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, we have the reality that God's word is that which grows us in respect to salvation. It equips us for every good work, 2 Timothy 3.16. It is powerful, it is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. There's no shortcut, there's no program, there's no other book. God uses his spirit-empowered word to conform us to the image of Christ. That's the goal of our salvation. And that brings him glory. Because God's word reveals a totally sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ. Satan is always appealing to man's pride and wisdom and understanding, at the same time assaulting the sufficiency of the word of God. Spiritual leadership and the proclamation of God's word is inseparable. Shepherd the flock. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Shepherd the sheep. Do you love me? Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, in Ezekiel's time, there were those who listened but didn't respond. There were those who went and they wanted their own stuff. And there was nothing different today. If your heart is hardened in sin, I pray it isn't. I pray it gets softened. But there are those who seek teachers after their own desires rather than the Word of God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. After Paul has shared with Timothy that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable, and he goes on for what it is, to equip us for every good work, he says this, 2 Timothy 4. These are his last words to Timothy, by the way. This is what's important. I solemnly charge you, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. This is pretty serious. Who is the judge of the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. Timothy, you are solemnly charged to do this. Elders, feed the sheep. Notice what he says, For a time will come when they will not endure sound or healthy doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn aside their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths or stories. In summary, all of elders' activity is centered around getting the word to the people of God that they might depend on him and trust in him completely. Now, there's some other things that elders need to do which go with that. And we'll see that there, too, as we will see exercise oversight. Because there are threats to the Word of God working in the life of a true believer. One threat is believer's own sin, right? Another threat is sin from others, as we will see, that they need to be protected from. Look at our passage again back in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. This is a present imperative participle, and it's connected to shepherding. It's not on its own. Shepherd, exercising oversight. Feed while watching over. That's really what it's saying. 
This term episkopos, oversight, it's the same word we use for overseer. It means caring for, watching out for, seeing to, looking after. It has the idea of protection. In your New King James, it's translated here in this passage, serve as overseers. I don't think that's really a very good translation. I really think exercising oversight is a much better translation. Remember, we saw the overseer, elder, shepherd, it's interchangeable, but they each point to a different nuance of the same responsibilities. Indeed, in Acts 20 and 1 Peter, we see those terms interchangeably used in our passage here in Acts 20. So then, what is oversight? We understand feeding, right? Sharing the Word of God. What is oversight? Now, by the way, just on a side note, feeding isn't just simply going through the Word of God and preaching some expository sermon. There's a lot of churches that do that. There's an element of the Spirit of God working through you to share the Word of God that the people of God's heart would be changed. It's not simply a formula. We've got a formulaic, solid-type churches out there these days, rather than the Spirit of God through submitted men sharing the Word of God to the body of Christ. But here, so now back to oversight. What does it look like? Well, obviously, overseeing has the idea of watching over, watching out for, looking after, and obviously, in context, it's the flock of God among you. You know, often people will say about people who've never committed to this church or whatever it might be, Greg, you need to go take care of that situation. Well, maybe, maybe not. That's not the flock God has placed me to shepherd. If God places them here, absolutely. If they stray, absolutely in that sense. If they've voluntarily submitted to serving the Lord here, yes. But here we are to exercise oversight, the flock among you, those within your midst. This word is used also in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Turn there for a second. Hebrews 12, 15. It's very interesting how it's used. This word, episkopos. It helps us understand. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it, that's our word. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. See to it. Oversee. Look towards it. Watch carefully. See to it. Look over. Watch carefully. That's what this word means. And it's interesting, the same word, in a, like a similar word, episcopon, is used in 1 Peter 2.25, and it's translated guardian. Christ who is the guardian of our souls. There's a guarding, there's a watching over, there's a seeing, there's a protection There's a looking after. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Let's turn there. Hebrews 13. So elders are to feed the flock, but they're to watch over too. Sometimes people don't like that. We'll see later on. People don't like that. They don't want people to watch over them. They don't want people to come alongside and reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience. They don't like that. But God says this is what we're to do. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Well, how can that be? Wouldn't they be lording our view? No. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. The reality is when they come to you and they're sharing things for you that you need to do, it's in light of the word of God for your spiritual protection and your growth in Jesus Christ. It is so that you be watched over. They watch over your souls. They oversee and will give an account. 
Overseeing is watching out for the flock, protecting them from threats from within and without. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Turn there. This is Paul's last words to the Ephesian elders, and he gives them the most important thing that they need to hear. Acts chapter 20. He has called the elders to himself from Ephesus, and they meet him in Miletus. And he shares his past example of being a godly shepherd, his current example of submission to Christ and how he's been faithful to Christ and his word. And then he gives them his final commands. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. By the way, on a side note, God gives men an aspiration to be elders, 1 Timothy 3. And then he lays forth the spiritual qualifications by his spirit in the word. And the spirit uses the word to confirm the reality of who God has chosen to be those leaders. He says, whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd. That's our same word, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And notice what he says. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. That's not good. The picture is this sheep being devoured by these wolves coming in and just ripping them apart. If you've ever seen a wolf take down a sheep, it's pretty pretty violent. Come on, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise. People will be within you and arise among you, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. That's ultimately they want them to follow them. Subtle, but that's what it is. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul was watching out for the threats. He was warning for those threats. Day and night, they're coming. Elders, watch over your souls. The threats to your faith in Jesus Christ and your trust in Him and His sufficiency. Do you see part of the shepherd's responsibility as watching over, protecting, and guarding you from those threats? God has made it clear that's the responsibility. Are you aiding your elders in this task by listening to them concerning the word they share in regards to those threats? Godly elders exercise oversight in the context of God's authority as servants of Christ to share the word of God to protect the sheep. Do you see part of your responsibility as submitting and listening? Do you see their responsibility as protecting you from those things? We are so independent, we think we can do it all ourselves. God has placed leaders in the body of Christ to protect the body, to oversee, to oversee. They're watching over your souls. We're watching over your souls, the threats to your souls. Do you remember not only are the threats to the souls from without, bad guys, the threats can come from within ourselves. Our own sin can be a threat to our souls. And obviously all of us watch out for one another. We love one another. We're concerned about where we are at spiritually. But elders have a responsibility. Look at Ezekiel 34 again, verse 4. Speaking of the bad shepherds that didn't feed. And by the way, not feeding and neglect goes hand in hand with shepherds. If you go to a church that's not feeding the Word of God, they're probably not addressing sin either, by the way. Ezekiel 34, verse 4. Those who are sickly... You have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. What is it that causes God's people to become weak, diseased, broken, and lost? Sin. It's sin. 
Certainly we have an enemy, Satan, but all of our issues can be brought down to the issue of sin. Godly shepherds address sin that caused sheep to stray, to be broken, to be weak and diseased spiritually. Ungodly shepherds don't care. They're hirelings. They're not concerned. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 at the concern of the Apostle Paul in regards to sin. You see, when shepherds address sin, sometimes people, as we'll see, will come back and they'll say, oh, you can't do that. You're lording over. It's the responsibility of shepherds to address sin for their good. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. Paul had all these things that really were in evidence. He was the Lord, and they were all difficult things, by the way. The false apostles, everything's good to go with them. They're happy and everything's fine. But with Paul, he uses the illustration of his suffering as an evidence, a badge of his apostleship. And then he says here in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, And apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Godly shepherds are concerned about the sheep getting caught up in sin. If they aren't, they're not godly shepherds. If they just let things go, something's wrong. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, sin police looking at everything. You know, love covers a multitude of sins. I'm talking about people caught up sickly. Their spiritual walk is affected by their sin. They need help. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. Again, the bad shepherds we see. Jeremiah 23, verse 21. He says, I didn't send these prophets, but they ran. 23, verse 21. God is saying, I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. He's saying, these guys are not from me. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have what? Announced my words to my people. That's the first thing. They would have shared my word and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Turn them from sin. That's what godly shepherds do. Now, some reject that. Some reject that. But the reality is, Christ is the chief shepherd, and he is concerned about us, and he does his shepherding through his shepherds. Matthew 18, we see, really, the good shepherd going after the sheep. You can see that. The illustration is about a good shepherd going after the sheep. And then, he says, if your brother sins, go to him, right? Christ does that through the body of Christ, and here we see he does it through elders. Wicked shepherds do not address sin. Guess what? If you address sin, you could stir up a pot of stuff, believe me. When you address sin in people's lives, we pray that people respond, but sometimes they don't. But it's for your good. Godly shepherds oversee, they watch out, they have great concern for those who fall into sin. Okay, so we've seen the duty of the shepherd, what godly shepherds are to be, looking after, guarding, seeking, restoring, all in the context of feeding God's word. If that's not happening in the church you're in, you've got to get out of there. These are not godly shepherds. You are at risk. You are at risk. Leaders have a tremendous responsibility. Titus 1.7, they are stewards of God's church. Hebrews 13.17, they will give an account. I'm going to give an account. Serious business. For every situation, every circumstance, serious business, for watching over your souls. It's very serious. Well, let's finish up with the manner of the shepherd. 
Verse 2, back in our passage, 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Now, the next three little portions are three contrasts, and they really explain what this oversight looks like, or they give a little example of how it should look, parts of it. It goes to the motives here. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Elders are not to perform their duties because they have to. Never in a forced manner. If I ever feel forced to shepherd you, to teach you the word of God, to watch over your souls, that's not good. I'm disobeying God's word. Something's wrong in my heart. It's not a forced thing. It's eagerly, as we'll see, as a servant of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean we're not grieved by sin. We're not grieved by circumstances. No doubt about that at times. But we are to do it voluntarily. There is no room for a person who feels forced to do it. There's no room for career pastors. It's not a career. It is a calling to be an under-shepherd of Christ, and it is done voluntarily. God is the one who gives overseers the desire. First Timothy 3, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. And then don't miss this. Elders are to shepherd according to the will of God, voluntarily, according to the will of God. You notice the term will is, the will is in italics there. It's not in the original language. It's implied. According to God. If you shepherd, you shepherd according to His way. Not your way. You don't do church your way. You do church His way. You shepherd His way. It's His way. There's no room for a rebellious, wicked man who leans on his own understanding rather than obeying God's word in relationship to the body of Christ. Voluntarily, according to God, or the will of God, which is found in the word of God. And I could go on for hours illustrating how this current evangelical seeker-sensitive felt-needs-led church and this intellectual reform-type stuff is all doing it on their own understanding. I could go on for hours. It's according to... God. Any shepherds listening, shepherd the flock according to his will, not yours. If you failed, come before the Lord and repent and be forgiven. Tell your congregation you failed. Be forgiven. Notice also, shepherds are to be overseeing eagerly and not for personal gain. Look at the end of verse 2. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Sordid gain is translated King James, filthy lucre. It speaks of dishonest gain. It speaks of gaining something that you shouldn't gain. You're using something to gain something. And sometimes people use the pulpit to gain power, to gain money, to gain prestige, whatever it is. It's all the same. It should never be that way. Never. Not for sordid gain. But with eagerness. The word means being willing and ready. Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Whatever situation comes, no matter what it is, I'm willing. I'm not complaining to you about it. I'm willing. I'm willing. And then notice, lastly, elders are to shepherd by example, not as overlords. Look at verse 3. Not yet as lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. He says, not lording over. The term really spoke of a military context. It's like a military. In the military, what happens? Do this, do that, that's it. It's military, right? But he says here, notice he says, not lording over, but yet those allotted to your charge. God does put people in and under submission to leadership. It's voluntary. 
whatever Bob and I share to you according to the word of God concerning what you need to do, you don't have to do it. You can walk right out of here. But the reality is we are not to lord it over you, but we are to lead you, as we will see, by example. It doesn't mean that you don't share the truth. It doesn't mean that you don't share those things. You know, it's interesting. Satan wants to tempt pastors to fear men, I believe, to not shepherd and address sin because they'll be afraid of the charge of lording over. You know, we've had that happen here where you address someone's sin and what comes back? You're lording over. Well, that's not true. That's shepherding. That's shepherding. But there is a lording over that's wrong. And we see it here. Instead of lording over, it is to be proving to be examples. Now, it's interesting. In the original language, it says becoming examples. It doesn't say you are an example completely. It says becoming an example. Elders should be becoming more and more an example to the flock. That's how you lead. Now, what's that example based on? Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. I think we see an example of the example. Hebrews 13 again. Verse 7. Everything is about faith in Christ, right? Everything. You know, the whole walk. We come to faith in Christ. We walk by faith. It's all about faith in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Right? It is. It's not about all the stuff. It's all about obeying and trusting Jesus. If you look at Hebrews 13, 7 again, it says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. And notice what he says. And considering the result of their conduct, imitate what? Their faith. Elders should be an example of trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what you imitate. They're trusting Christ. They're trusting him and obeying. You imitate that. You trust Jesus Christ. It's faith in Christ, proving to be an example of those who trust Christ no matter what, who trust him and obey him. That's what it should be. Not yet is lording over those allotted to your charge. There is order and authority, by the way, and God does tell the body to submit. We'll see that next week. But he says, but proving to be or becoming examples. Become an example. Elders, we should be becoming more and more those who exemplify believing what God has said and trusting in him as an example to those around. It's an incredibly important task, and there are those allotted to your charge. God places people under a servant authority. Again, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. You say, wait a second, they can't tell me what to do, that's lording over. Well, no, they're not telling you what to do. They're sharing the word of God in relationship to your spiritual walk that you would be right with the Lord. Obey that. Obey the word of God. For they will keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. There's a serious responsibility. Shepherds lead by godly example of faith which manifests in godly behavior. Lastly, we're going to look at the focus. Elders ought to be focused on the chief shepherd. And we'll finish up. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, this is just a glorious verse for me as an elder, I'll tell you that right now. And when the chief shepherd appears, not if the chief shepherd appears, when the chief shepherd appears. Peter, inspired by the Spirit, has made it very clear that you're not the chief shepherd. And when the chief shepherd you're shepherds, but when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Back in 1 Peter chapter 2, we see that Jesus is the shepherd and guardian of our souls, verse 25. In Hebrews chapter 
13, verse 20. Look at this. I'll read it to you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of priests who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ is the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's not like the hirelings. He's the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. And here he is the chief shepherd. He is in charge. Christ is in charge. And if you are submitting to him, obeying his word, trusting in him in relationship to the flock, when he appears, something will happen. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. The term unfading means it's never going to go away. It's never going to diminish. It's eternal. It's never going to diminish. The term crown, this word crown is the word Stephanos. It spoke of a victor's wreath they would put on a head of an athlete that had won the Olympics or whatever it might be. And it's the victor's wreath of glory which will not diminish. And it's when he appears. We saw throughout First Peter the encouragement that we should be rejoicing that even though our trials by test of fire will result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 1. Chapter 113, gird your minds for action, keep your sober and spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is coming again. First Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Elders, when the chief shepherd appears, you're not the chief shepherd, he is. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders, shepherd the flock. Exercising oversight, willingly, not under compulsion, voluntarily, not lording over, but proving, becoming examples of faith in Jesus Christ. And when he comes, you receive the reward. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for the instruction. You've not left us in the dark. For me, as an elder, Lord God, I understand exactly from your word what you're calling us to do, and we pray by your power and strength that we would be able to do that, continually become examples to the flock, continually shepherd your sheep, continually exercise oversight with the right motives. I pray for this flock that it would be fed, it would be protected, and that they would understand what you require of your under-shepherds. And I pray all of us would be recognizing and focusing on the chief shepherd, your son Jesus Christ. May we be looking eagerly for him and trusting in him and walking with him. Lord God, thank you for the opportunities you've given us each to serve in this body, and I pray that we would do so according to your word in a way that brings you great glory, that we would rejoice forever and ever for what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.